welcome to Cutting the Ball in the Post-Truth Apocalypse. I'm Ben, as always, I'm joined by Mike. Hello. And Claire. Hey. Today we're going to do an anthology of The Strange because... Because I forgot the DVD. <laughs> I was halfway to Mike's flat and I realised, bugger, I don't have the DVD. It's worked out for the best anyway because I've been to a disappointing light show and... It was all a bit late. Are you saying that Telford and Reekin's Christmas Lights grand finale switch-on was underwhelming? You shat. I don't know what you expected. They're only flicking a switch. I know. (laughs) Did they even have a celebrity? They had somebody that had done something good, but I wasn't really listening. (laughs) I I believe he's an Olympic boxer of some kind. Uh See, Ben wasn't even there and he was listening. That's only because I saw something earlier. I don't know who he is. I just know he's. I think he's a boxer of some kind. Anyway, we're doing an anthology of the strange. It's the stuff that doesn't quite. We can't possibly make stretch out for an hour, but it's still too cool to not talk about at some point. A little collection of the hodgepodge of things. All right, let's start by thanking some new and returning listeners. Uh, Telford, start with our hometown in the United Kingdom, Chicago, Illinois, USA, obviously Berlin, Germany, Shrewsbury, United Kingdom, Lima, Peru. Frankfurt, Germany, Bengaluru in India, Helsinki, Finland, Cardiff by the sea in California. Isn't, no, Cardiff isn't by the sea, is it? Or is it? Yeah. yeah oh, fantastic. by the sea. Fantastic. <laughs> Oklahoma City in Oklahoma. No one going to sing Oklahoma? Don't know it. No? No. Not oh. a big show tunes fan. <laughs> no. Okay. Westfield, New Jersey, Los Angeles, California, Indianapolis, Indiana... Croydon, the United Kingdom, Ilford, United Kingdom, Port Gaville in Missouri, Ashburn, Virginia in at number two, and number one, Guadalajara, Spain. Thank you very much for listening. Yep. Someone there called Mr. T has listened. I hope it is the Mr. T. I don't think it is. This looks like a white guy for a start. Does it? His his picture's up, yeah. Olive skinned at least. I ain't getting on no plane. (laughs) I listen to a podcast. Well, he's listened. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks. Yeah. Um, right, let's start. With, I thought I chose this because it is um, Remembrance Weekend, and I like a bit of militaria. You know that a bit of a military history buff. One might say, you're not a fascist in any way, though. That's what I don't. Collect, nah. I don't collect German uniforms. Did you just say I'm not a fascist? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't collect German uniforms or, or Nazi memorabilia or anything. I just enjoy reading a book now and again or watching a documentary. You've got a whole cupboard, haven't you, or something? I like do that. not have a cupboard of Nazi memorabilia. <laughs> what? <laughs> Mike's just looking at me. You watch Triumph for the Will every day. <laughs> I've never seen it. You've watched it more times than I have. Yeah, once. <laughs> Research. Know thy enemy, Ben. Yeah, that's why you were goose-stepping around to put your back out. <laughs> that's why there's tiki torch burns on the fucking ceiling. <laughs> anyway, Stop projecting. Is... I'm not projecting, I'm not even pointing at you. <laughs> Don't deflect it. Stop deflecting. <laughs> HMS Habakkuk, which was going to be an aircraft carrier made entirely out of ice. Interesting. <laughs> yes. Slippy on deck, isn't it? <laughs> I know it's going to put some plating down over the top of the deck. Aww. But the whole thing was going to be made uh, out of ice. Another man overboard. <laughs> That's the 50th this week. 
So Project Habakkuk was a plan by the British during the Second World War to construct an aircraft carrier out of piecrete, which is a mixture of wood pulp and ice, for use against German U-boats in the mid-Atlantic. We couldn't cover all the Atlantic with a... Surely the ship's going to melt in the sun, isn't no, it? No, there's the way they had a ways of cooling it and everything. Oh, fucking hell. It's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Bit ludicrous. Icebergs float, Mike. Mike. They float, but they melt as well. Pike. <laughs> That's the problem with the climate. Isn't that the problem with the climate change? The icebergs are melting. Well, we need to start making our own damn ice ships so we can get them <laughs> up there, don't we? I think it's mid Atlantic. Could be, you know. Mid Atlantic's cold in the winter. It's below freezing. Yeah. Not in the summer. No, in the summer, no. <laughs> so it's really good for three months of the year. But they reckon they could operate these things in the Pacific eventually <laughs> with the cooling systems they were going to have in place. It's ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Pycrete's also incredibly tough. It can take torpedo damage and bomb damage. No wonder this world's fucked. What a waste of time. What a waste of energy trying to keep it cool. Yeah, that's going to kick out something, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it's madness. <laughs> I think it's really cool. It's a guy called Geoffrey Pike. He'd been recommended to Lord Mountbatten, who was chief of the combined operations. Basically, says, "Look, this guy's a fucking genius. He's got to come up with something." (laughs) (laughs) Ice ships. He's a genius. I tell you, he's a genius. Sink all you've got into them. He won. He'd been considering the problem of how to protect seaborne landings and Atlantic convoys, which are out of reach of aircraft cover. You've got to have air superiority, and aircraft are great at spotting submarines. Mm -hmm. Right? We can't cover all the Atlantic at this point. You need aircraft carriers to fill in the gaps. But then you risk sending out a really expensive aircraft carrier that gets sunk by a U-boat. You haven't got that many as it is. So you make one out of ice. <laughs> he realised the answer was ice with steel and aluminium being in short supply and required for other purposes. He reckoned the ice could be manufactured for only 1% of the energy needed to make an equivalent mass of steel. Yeah, but then he, the other 99 is keeping it cool. <laughs> yeah. He proposed that an iceberg, natural or artificial, could be levelled to provide a runway and hollowed out to shelter aircraft. Planes landing on ice. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, you're going to have arresting wires to stop them. But you'd also, you wouldn't just leave it iced, would you? You'd put some, like, steel... Gravel there. <laughs> yeah. Some grit. <laughs> some grit down your mouth through the fucking ship. <laughs> oh, Jesus. This is why too you're Too much not... grit, too much grit. <laughs> you wouldn't even have grit on board. No. Yeah, just through the hole. You know, you've got to drop a handful. Next thing you know, you got a leak. So basically, piecrete is machined like wood and cast into shapes like metal and when immersed in water it forms an insulating shell of wet wood pulp on its surface that protects its interior from further melting. It had to be kept at a minus 60 degrees C. <laughs> oh, <Jesus>. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the problem straight away. <laughs> but to accomplish this, the ship's surface would have to be protected by insulation and it would need a refrigeration plant and a complicated Whoa. system of ducts. No. It's <laughs> <laughs> a war on. We've got to consider everything at this point. Ice is cheaper than steel. <laughs> I suppose you could knock them out temporarily, use them as uh, suicide ships, maybe. Yeah. Well, you could park them up, wouldn't you? Use them as like floating fortresses in a way. Yeah, just float them out and stuff yeah, them full of bombs. Ship <laughs> yeah. off when, yeah. when it's half melted. The Japanese oh. are like, oh my god, look at that giant iceberg coming towards <laughs> us. 
But as a functioning shit with crew on board, I wouldn't want to go on the ice ship, I could tell you that. No. <laughs> <laughs> they're happy, are they just going to sort of be wrapped up in, like, you know, insulated clothes? Yeah. Kitchen would melt, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't be able to well, cook anything on board, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Everything just be canned. <laughs> Bit of a barbecue on the surface. You, you could, you could. You'd have to cook everything out on deck. <laughs> but as it's going to be a mile long, that's not really a problem. <sighs> the decision was made to build a large-scale model at Jasper National Park in Canada to examine the insulation and refrigerator techniques and to see how Pie Creek would stand up to artillery and explosives. They actually did make one. It was measured 60 by 30 feet, which is 18 metres by 9 metres, and it weighed 1,000 tonnes. Fucking hell. And was kept frozen by a one-horsepower motor. Wow. Oh. I can't get the science of it like my head round it, can you? The pikery basically makes this the ice, because it, it, it's it's like the wooden wood poop is, forms a barrier around the ice, so you end up with this... So, it, so it's not touching the actual water itself, yet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's just going to float. It's just going to be a massive floating ice ship with the engines and everything needed. You also got to chill it. I guess even if in the kitchens, I guess it'd be even colder while you were cooking to counteract the heat. Mm. Churchill went. That's fucking amazing. I love that ship. I want. I want one. At least one. It's with the highest priority, <laughs> and I'll order more if the scheme is certain. Oh success. my god! He's going for it. <laughs> He went for everything, didn't he? He was quite drunk. <laughs> oh, <bloody> ice ship. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just thinking, I could be on that ice ship and I could have a whiskey in my hand yeah. and I could just <laughs> chip a bit of the wall off into the glass. That's what he's thinking. <laughs> he's, he's already thinking of his next speech, we'll send out the ice ships. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll fight them on the ice ships. <laughs> The Canadians are like, yeah, so Winnie, we reckon we can make you one for 1944. And they were given the necessary materials, 300,000 tonnes of wood pulp, 25,000 tonnes of fibreboard insulation, 35,000 tonnes of timber and 10,000 tonnes of steel. And the cost was estimated at 700,000 of your 1944 pounds, which is a lot cheaper than building an aircraft carrier out of steel. Right. You're talking millions for that. Wow. However, it's probably going to need that they need more steel reinforcement and more effective insulating skin, and that caused the estimate to go up to two and a half million. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> and the Canadians decided it was impractical to attempt the project this coming season, presumably because a bit of a thaw. Yeah, because it was the summer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Bernal and Pike were forced to conclude that no Habakkuk vessel would be ready in 1944. So, I just want to give you a demonstration of Pie Creek. This is legitimately an account. It was written by Mountbatten in his, in his wartime diary. So, at the Quebec Conference in 1943, Lord Mountbatten bought a block of Pie Creek along to demonstrate its potential to the admirals and generals who accompanied Winston Churchill and Franklin D. Roosevelt. Mountbatten entered the project with a meeting with two blocks, placed them on the ground, One's a normal ice block, the other's pikery. He draws out his pistol, shoots at the first block, it's the ice, it shatters. So he effectively fires at the pikery to give the idea of the resistance of that kind of ice to the projectile and the bullet ricocheted the block, grows in the trouser leg of Admiral Ernest King and ended up in the war. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mountbatten was a mad bastard. And that's, that's also supported by Sir Alan Brooks' uh, diaries. 
strong stuff then. Yeah, so that's just a block, and that mm. can take a revolver bullet at that range. What can uh, two hundred thousand blocks in a ship sort of? Where you well, did they test it at that scale? Only in the, in the minor test. It must mm. have done all right if they ordered one. Yeah. But yeah, by the end of '43, though, it began to lose priority. The demand for steel for other purposes was too great. Got to allocate your resources, not just pie in the sky ones like this. Oh, I still think it's an amazing idea. Permission had to be received from Portugal to use airfields in the Azores, which facilitated the hunting of U-boats in the Atlantic, so they didn't need these massive things now, because mm. they can just land in a midpoint. They also introduced longer, long-range fuel tanks, uh, numbers of escort carriers were being increased, and uh, Ben said, ah, I've had enough of this, and withdrew from it himself. <laughs> yeah, not surprised. I mean, it doesn't sound as mad as it first sounds. I we're gonna build ice ships. Yeah. But it's still mental, isn't it? Oh yeah, I think it's really cool though. No pun intended. I think it's ace. It's huh. like, hmm, steel's in short supply, but this pycrete stuff, I could stop fucking bombs. I could if we, you know, make it thick enough. Mm. And you, yeah. and really, you're surrounded by water. Or mm. you to, to make repairs to the ship, all you've got to do is bring some water on board. And freeze it and patch it in place. <laughs> it's, it's you self-repairing. Yeah, but I think. I think you seem to try and keep it. To try and keep it cool's a problem. That's, that's the where thing. the price became too much, wasn't it? That's where it's going to use the fuel. Yeah, so you're using more energy to keep it cool. So although you're only making say one percent the energy used to make steel, eventually it's going to. Longer it's out there, it's going to be. It is going to degrade. Yeah. And the energy used is going to be more than steel eventually, isn't it? Yeah, but you've also got a, a thing that's a mile long and you could look, fly, like, long-range bombers off. Yeah, but you can only use Just, it in the winter. They did reckon they could, they could get it to use in the Pacific, I read somewhere today. They had plans to deploy one to the Pacific. If it, it would have cost even more. Yeah, probably. You'd have to work out the ratio, because it did give you the ratio, didn't it? Yeah, it was um, 86%... Ice, 14% wood pulp. Mm -hmm. It was the strongest ratio, apparently. I'll give it 9 out of 10 for ingenuity. Yeah. But 2 out of 10 for practical purposes. I'm sh I think it's awesome. I love it. I'd be, if I was church, I'd be, yeah, it's, give me 10. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm drunk as well. It's 1943. The war's turning in our favour. Get me 10. <laughs> and another whiskey. That could have lost us the war. <laughs> We're speaking German now. No, because the ten Habakkuks are just hove into view just as Germany's invading. They were in no position to invade in 43 anyway. They were getting their asses handed to them on the, on the Russian front. See, the Russians were it for us, didn't they? Effectively. Well, we, we played a part. Yeah, but I mean, they'd, 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 have got, they'd, they'd have made it to Berlin before. Well, they did make it to Berlin before us, even if we didn't slow down. Three so. years they held them off. Well, so we, we held got them off for a bit as well. Yeah, but we couldn't have done it alone, could we have done the manpower? It's not the Russians. I mean, there's an endless supply of them fuckers, all vodka-fueled and angry. Yeah. Nothing to not take anything away from the mighty Red Army. They did a really good job. I think it was probably commissioned because Mike Batten was taken a backhander. Or, you know, it, it's one of them sort of people in high places just giving other people, like, contracts and that. And it was... Yeah. That's, <laughs> what, a, that's what I think it is. You know what? It's a possibility... I'm going to make, you know, ice ships. <laughs> All I need is 700 grand. 
like a World War Two battleship probably cost a sort of 10, 15 million pounds to build. I think how complex a battleship is. Aircraft carriers, while aren't as complex, they still use a lot of steel. They take time. Yeah, but it ain't going to melt in the first sight of the fucking... <laughs> it's not going to melt straight wave. away, is it? Oh, it's a pissed-off idea that they had, and then that they sort of thought, it, you know, thought it was... They commissioned it, they, they built they one. They commissioned it, they sort of built one, but then they were like, oh, this just really isn't fucking practical, and then they had to sort of, like, withdraw... No, no, no they built it in Canada. <laughs> yeah, that's where they were all going to be built. There's loads of ice in Canada. Yeah, it's cold. Yeah, so withdraw without, you know, to save face, didn't they? Yeah, the price is starting to escalate. 700 grand, okay, brilliant. All of a sudden it's two and a half million. It's still a mile long. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It can, t- it can shrug off torpedoes and bombs. How the fuck they would, would they get it over these ways? Let's sail it over. Pieces. Why you sail it over? A mile long thing? You wanna... Yeah. No one want to be on that. <laughs> it would just snap in the middle if it comes to a huge... I don't know, maybe. It's a choppy water. This thing's a mile long, it's wide as hell, it's it's yeah, massive. It's like a Kit Kat snapping. Scroll back up, there's a picture in com- of comparison to like a normal aircraft carrier. Uh, that's the, so that's your standard aircraft carrier at the time, 1940. Two nine forty three. Oh, it's not as thin as I thought it was. Yeah, you know, it's it's a massive thing. Right. That's Are a, you know, deploying on the ice ship, Claire? No. <laughs> no. You want to join the navy if you knew that? <laughs> You're going on them. Why not? It's ace. <laughs> I love it. I love HMS Habakkuk. I think it's a great mm. idea. It's a bit mad. It is mad. And it was never going to be practical, but you know, if your back's against the wall, you got to consider everything, hadn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. Points are trying. Yep. I love it. It's a perfect mix of British ingenuity and eccentricism, eccentricism, eccentricity. That's the word. <laughs> eccentricity. And ingenuity. And ingenuity. It's a perfect mix of that. Okay, moving on. Galvarino, the Mapuche warrior with knives for hands. <laughs> Fucking Wolverine. Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Right, for as long as there have been wars, there have been warriors who fought a second life on the battlefield. Found a second life. Blooded, maimed, shot, cut open, stabbed. They are the ones who should have perished, but who ne- nevertheless managed to stay alive and keep fighting. Then there's Galvarino, a warrior who not only overcame a brutal injury, but who actually used it to transform himself into something straight out of your worst nightmare. Freddy Krueger. That's a pretty bad nightmare. Mm. I mean, Wolverine, also again an angry Wolverine with knives for hands. Not the animal, the X-Man. Yeah. Yeah. A pissed off Edward Scissorhands. You don't want that? You certainly don't. 500 years ago, in what were the early years of South America's protracted Araco War, an army of Spanish conquistadors routed several thousand Mapuche Indians in the Battle of La Guinalas in south-central Chile near the Bio Bio River. The Spanish captured 150 Mapuche prisoners with their pointed kiwis and papaya. (laughs) (laughs) Now those are African tribesmen, these are Chilean. Ah, and Buta Gorge. Buta Gorge, you're thinking of, Blackadder, yeah. 
Among them, a young chieftain named Galvarino marched them back to the Spanish encampment. After a swift and no doubt impartial trial, Governor Garcia Hurtado de Mendoza, the Spanish leader, ordered troops to sever the right hand and nose of each warrior and to cut off both hands of leaders like Galvarino. The gruesome act would be a message to the Mapuche, submit or else. Harsh. The nose as well. Well, imagine the mess when you got a cold. Oh, uh, or the, the cold that the Europeans are going to give you after they've cut your nose off. To kill them, yeah. to kill them off, wasn't it? Disease. It was, yeah. But still, no one's got the audacity of the Spanish conquistadors. Literally show up with like 150 men and take out the Aztecs. Ridiculous. It's audacity, that is. According to Mapuche legend, after Galvarino's left hand was hacked off, he bravely offered up his right and watched the hatchet fall without flinching. He then asked his torturers to deliver the killing blow, a request that they declined. Galvarino and the dozens of other mutilated warriors were then freed and ordered to tell the Mapuche general Copalican to surrender and prevent further bloodshed. Galvarino did no such thing. Instead, he urged Capalician and his people to continue to fight against the Spanish intruders. As described by Pedro Marino de Libera in Chronicle of the Kingdom of Chile, Galvarino went before the Mapuche, handless arms raised in the air, and told them that what they had been done to him, the Spanish would do to everyone else if they gave up. I got a fucking hands! <laughs> Look what they did! I'll do it to all of you too. And they wouldn't do it to everyone because you need some people with hands still, don't you? Yeah, you can't have a totally handless community. No, you need, to, you need people <laughs> to make food and stuff, don't you? And yeah. provide other services. A bit useless, aren't they? Are the Spanish or... No one... People uh, no hands. If, if, you, if you're subjugating a population, you want them to do the work for you. Shouldn't somebody with no hands do some good pottery, though? Well, yeah, well, I dare say they could, but I guess it would depend on the shape of the stump. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know. Sorry, that seems insensitive. <laughs> well, Galvarino said, My brethren, why have you stopped fighting these Christians? The damage they have done since they entered our realm and what they have done to me is what they will continue to do to you if we are not diligent in destroying these injurious people. Why have you stopped firing these Christians? Because they cut your fucking hands off for a start. I don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> Such words, Libera noted, are often more effective to incite war than the hands of Hercules and the industry of the Caesars. Capalician declared that the Mapuche would strike back against the Spaniards and he named Galvarino as one of his commanders. But what good would a handless fighter be against the enemy? Very little, as Galvarino knew well. What he did next made him a legend. Before the next offensive, he fastened knives to both of his wrists. Oh, speaking pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's metal. There's no record of how big the knives were or how sharp, though we'd all no doubt like to imagine long, gleaming blades sprouting from his stumps. Historian Leslie Ray has referred to them as lances and notes quite practically that the Mapuche must have had very effective cauterisation techniques to allow even Galvarino to attempt such a feat. Nah, they just stuck his hands in some fire. Nah, that's it, what that is, isn't it? Yeah. You'd, you'd, you'd Cauterise the wound, don't you? You'd yeah. heat up a knife or something, wouldn't you? Yeah. On November the 30th, 1557, less than a month after his capture, 
Galvarino was on the front line of what became known as the Battle of Milarupe. The plan was to ambush the Spanish encampment and overwhelm Mendoza before he could turn his artillery and horses on the warriors. But the Mapuche sprang their trap too quickly, and despite initial success at styming Mendoza's cavalry, the commander managed to hit the native attackers with cannon fire, opening up a seam for his horsemen to ride through and sow chaos. In all, 3,000 Mapuche were killed, compared to only minor injuries and scores of dead horses on the Spanish side. There were also several hundred Mapuche captured, Galvarino among them. Oh, they're going to let him off here so easy this time. No. Old knife hands. <laughs> like, didn't we cut your hands off the other day? <laughs> I'm sure we did. Yeah, take them knives off, you stumpy. There we go. After the battle, there will be no third chance for Galvarino. He and his men were sentenced to hang. Alonso Diaz Silla, a Spanish side who would later write the epic poem La Arancana. La Arancana? Something like that. Claimed that he tried to intervene on Galvarino's behalf, entreating him to join with the Spanish, to which Galvarino reportedly replied, I would rather die than live like you, and I'm only sorry that my death will keep me from tearing you to pieces with my teeth. Oh, <laughs> what a maniac. What a badass. Some claim Mendoza threw Galvarino to the dogs. Yeah. I think Ramsey Bolton. Yeah. While others say he was hanged, still others believe Galvarino killed himself first to rob his captors of the pleasure. Just so you know that we don't know how he did in battle, but it is kind of recorded that he might have killed the second in command. Alright. I presume launching himself like Superman style at the guy on the horse. Possibly. That's where I'd go for it, wouldn't you? Yeah. The Araiko War would continue for nearly 300 years, with the Mapuche continuously resisting colonisation by the Spanish. The story of Galvarino was a rallying cry for the Mapuche. Galvarino's story has served perhaps more than any other to perpetuate the Mapuche's reputation for courage and tenacity. Aww. Well, it could be a bit of embellishment, couldn't it? Yeah. There probably is some embellishment, but the fa- I think the, the guy probably did strap knives to his hands. Yeah. Or his stumps. Well, someone else did. How's he going to tie it? Well, someone would do it for him, yeah, in that scenario. Mm. But pretty badass. You're not stopping Stop me. Stop them knives on me stumps, would you? <laughs> I'm going into battle. Just, I'm going to actually beg me. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You'd have thought he'd have slit his own throat, wouldn't you, before being taken away if these things were strapped to you, you know? I'd imagine they untied his knife things, though. Mm. Yeah. Shame. So yep. I'm not seeing if he's going to kill himself other than that. Yep, I'm all up for, you know, you revolutionaries like free, fighting like off the oppressors. The freedom fighter, Mike. Yeah. Mm. One day I want to see you with knives on your mm. wrists. <laughs> well, post-Brexit that time may come soon. <laughs> <you think. laughs> You're going to lose your hands of looting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, moving on. So the time Napoleon was attacked by rabbits. I've got a bit historical this mm. week. Yeah. So history tells us that Napoleon's most uh, upsetting defeat came at Waterloo. Or could it have occurred eight years earlier after a French uh, emperor was attacked by a relentless horde of rabbits? I'd argue the rabbits. <laughs> <sighs> they like rabbits. 
I've got nothing against rabbits, but I mean, if I'm if I'm Napoleon and I've just lost Waterloo, mm-hmm. I'll be like, well, this is shit. This is mad. But at least I've lost a battle against like someone who just outdid me on the day. Not being humiliated by a horde of rabbits. I've had that, I've had that flashback through his mind several times that day. Well, there's a couple of versions of the story. Most agree that it happened in July 1807 after Napoleon signed the treaties of the Tilsit, which ended the war between the French Empire and the Imperial Russia. Looking to celebrate, the Emperor, Emperor proposed a, a rabbit hunt, asking Chief of Staff Alexandre Berthier to make it happen. Berthier arranged an outdoor lunch and invited mm. some of the military's biggest brass and collected a colony of rabbits. Some say Berthier took in hundreds of bunnies, while others claim he collected as many as 3,000. Oh, he's just he's overdone it. He's yeah. trying, to, trying to impress Napoleon, isn't he? <laughs> he's like, I'm laying on this party. I need, I need rabbits. I've got to get rabbits. Got the top brass coming for an outdoor luncheon, which sounds absolutely delicious. <laughs> French. want to hunt rabbits? Sorry. Rabbit uh, stew. For lunch, I imagine. Yeah, or some kind of French dish with a rabbit. I'd imagine they make the most of it. You know what the French are like for cooking? You're telling me that Napoleon doesn't travel everywhere without some kind of top chef? Of course. Got too many? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So re- regardless of how many rabbits there was, Bertha's men caged them all along the fringes of the grassy field. When Napoleon started uh, to prowl, accompanied by the beaters and the gun bearers, the rabbits were released from their cages and the hunt was on. Fucking big man, isn't he? <laughs> hunting rabbits, Jesus. What well, he was... I'm hunting wabbits. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> but something strange... Elmer fucking fud. <laughs> Something strange happened. The rabbits didn't scurry off in fright. Instead, they uh, bounded towards Napoleon and his men. Uh, what's up, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of fuzzy bunnies gunned for the world's most powerful man. Napoleon's party had a good laugh at first, but as the onslaught, the onslaught. <laughs> continued, their concern grew. The sea of long ears were storming Napoleon quicker. Is any sure you get lost in him? <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, five foot four, five foot something like that. So he actually wasn't that. I know, sure, I know. But, uh, but it doesn't. The joke doesn't work. Yeah, I know. I guess once everyone, to say. everyone perceived him as small, didn't they? They did. That was the thing. Little bony. So. <laughs> hey, little bony. How do you know what he had? <laughs> we have one more. Well, apparently his penis is actually preserved. Is it? Um... Yeah, it's meant to be uh, shaped like a small seahorse. No, true that is, I don't know. That's something a fact I remember reading ages ago that uh, Napoleon's penis was preserved. A small seahorse? Yeah. Oh, I can't believe that. Is it in the Albert Hall with his ball? <laughs> no, it's not next to Hitler's ball, no. Oh, no, it's Hitler's ball, wasn't yeah. it? So, the Sea of Long Ears was storming Napoleon quicker than revolutionists had stormed Bastille. The rabbits allegedly swarmed the emperor's legs and started climbing up his jacket. Napoleon tried shooing them with his riding crop as his men grabbed sticks and tried chasing them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fucking Benny Hill skit, <laughs> isn't it? The yeah. coachmen cracked their bull whips to try and scare the siege, but it kept coming. Napoleon retreated, fleeing to his carriage. He's the most powerful man in Europe, and probably the world, is literally just... Running to his carriage under a relentless onslaught of fluffy rabbits. Uh, Why did they 
Things were indoors. There was an outdoor luncheon, I guess. They must have gone outside in a, in a field or something to do it. But it didn't stop. According to historian David Chandler, with a finer understanding of Napoleonic strategy um, than most of his uh, generals, the rabbit horde divided into two wings and poured around the flanks of the party and headed for the imperial coach. <laughs> the flood of bunnies continued. Some reportedly leapt into the carriage. The attack ceased only as the coach rolled away and the man who was dominating Europe was no match for a battle with the bunnies. Well, so the Emperor of France, I don't know if he's his emperor at this point, he might be, has been driven off by <laughs> a horde of rabbits fleeing in terror in his carriage. Well, it was that Berthier's fault. <clears throat> Do you think he had every person there shot so they couldn't spread the story? <laughs> or imprisoned? <laughs> well, I suppose the worst of it is, is you've got people from Russia there, haven't you? Oh yeah! You just you just signed a peace deal with him, with the Russian yeah, Empire. Yeah, thinking, and they just and they just watched you get routed by a bunch of rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're they're running as well. Everyone's running, aren't they? Yeah, but you're, they're not jumping in their carriage and driving off, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> abandoning your everyone to to their fate. Well, it was that Bertha's fault. Rather than um, trapping wild hares, um, his men had bought tame rabbits. <laughs> And as a result, they didn't see uh, Napoleon as a fearsome hunter. They saw him as a way of bringing out today's food. So he was uh, effectively a giant head of lettuce. Of course, uh. the tame, I suppose they're getting fed on these. So they've been released. Oh, like, hey, it's feeding time. There's the feeder. He looks a bit like Napoleon. Nah, can't be him. <laughs> Get him, boys. That's amazing. I'd never heard of that. Yeah. It's a story I was reminded of. I was rereading a book and I was like, oh shit, I remember that. I remember reading about that. So I made a note of it. Yeah, it's a good one. Alright, then what's the next one? Albino hunting in Africa. Hunting for humans. Who's mm. hunting? Well, although albinism is rare worldwide, it is relatively common in Africa due to consanguinity. And is seen as a punishment or a curse. I'm guessing some consanguinity is something to do with the blood, isn't it? Sanguine is, isn't it? Mm. And there was a demand in the black market of body parts that are being used in amulets, potions, and dark rituals. Ooh. <laughs> it's fucked up, isn't it? Yeah. They call it the birthplace of humanity, but in certain bloodstained corners of Africa, humanity is in short supply. It is known as the Dark Continent. Perhaps this is a more appropriate name for the wild land where the dark deeds recounted in the following paragraphs take place. Licensed African witch doctors do a roaring trade in the severed body parts of people with albinism, believing they are good luck and contain magical powers. What you got on you today then, Mike? Funny uh, feet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I got a lovely cock. <laughs> Well, bring your fertility, it will. <laughs> Grind it up, snort it, use it as yeah. an aphrodisiac, probably. Like rhino horn, it is. I was just thinking about rhino horn. <laughs> they use the ill gotten body parts in rituals and potions supposed to bring the user prosperity. Sometimes the patient slash customer has to source these macabre ingredients themselves. Heard of a doctor charging an arm and a leg. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, boom, boom. 
Although albinism is quite rare worldwide, affecting approximately 1 in 20,000 people, it is, uh, it is comparatively common in Africa. And due to poor uh, African education levels, many do not understand the medical and genetic causes of the condition and instead view it as some kind of punishment or curse. Now, due to their highly sought-after body parts, albinos have been hunted, dismembered and even murdered. And the demand has led to a black market in albino body parts of merciless hunters have turned their attentions to them in widespread violence. That's mental, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, the severed limbs and heads fetch top dollar. Uh, it is said that a matching set of arms, legs, ears and genitals from a single albino can fetch up to uh, 100,000 US dollars on the black market. Well, I know I'm going on Aldi. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be no good. Hunting albinos. I thought it would make mistake me for one. <laughs> exactly, that's what I mean. Oh, oh, I thought you were going I'll black up there. first. <laughs> no, don't do that. That's a whole political storm. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> I thought he was going to go and sell his arms, legs, genitals. Because <laughs> he's an albino, so. I mean, I want to... I've got no genitals to sell, though, because my penis is in another dimension. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, arms and legs. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can learn to roll with your mouth like yeah. the um, human torso from the Freak Show episode. Pillar Man. Pill- yeah, could be like that. I mean, underground, underground. <laughs> Might be 85 minus the cock. But... <laughs> in Tanzania alone in 2015. A hundred albinos were murdered for their body parts, whilst a hundred and fifty more were attacked but survived. Another common belief is that sexual intercourse with a woman or girl with, a, with albinism can cure HIV and AIDS. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's led to widespread cases of rape and oh, HIV yeah. AIDS infection. That's not good. Other uses for unfortunate albinos are said to, are to be sacrificed to appease the mountain god or calm an angry volcano or to be murdered and buried by gold miners at their dig sites to bring fortune. The witch doctors in question are like crime lords commanding vast networks of helpers, middlemen and clients, including corrupt police officers. I'm thinking King Willie from Predator 2 when you say, like, crime lord slash shaman. Mm. The other side, man. The other side. Due to the stigma attached to albinism, the corrupt networks pulling the strings and a largely apathetic public, most of them don't consider them as, as humans with ghosts or devils, murder convictions against albino hunters are incredibly rare. However, one, a landmark case in 2009 was the first murder conviction against a Tanzanian albino hunter was recorded at the High Court of Kamala. It was a landmark murder because 50 recent murders have been committed at the time and this was the only conviction. It was on his Facebook profile. (laughs) One in 50 is not a good record, is it? Albino hunter. Yeah, never put that as an appropriate... uh, Don't put that on your Facebook profile. Or your LinkedIn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 14-year-old albino Matatsu Dunia was attacked in his home in Bukembe by a gang of three albino hunters kidnapped, brutally murdered and dismembered with foot me. You always rely on mine to just bring it down a bit, <laughs> can you? There we were, I would have laughed about Napoleon getting attacked by rabbits. 
We've got a brutal child murderer, and one of the murderers is fucking caught red-handed with his leg. <laughs> the crudely hacked-up body was hidden in some nearby shrubbery. I'm sure the knights who say knee are thrilled. You wanted strange. This is pretty <laughs> fucking strange, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. Yeah. Oh, I pretty mother, horrific as well. If I was a mother of an albino baby, I'd be like, why'd you just run away, wouldn't you? Is it black it up? We'd have dollar signs in your eyes. I suppose, I bet some poor people, uh, yeah. I bet they sell their babies. They probably do. I bet. Because it happens and they're not even albino. Especially if, like, the shame, and which is like your priest is telling you... This is the devil. Yeah, I'll give you 100, 100 grand for it. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah. Priests want a baby for 100 grand and saying it's a devil. In that, it's it's a, not a good look. I don't want to know what's going to happen to the baby, though, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Well, she knows, because it's a superstition. Well, yeah, I mean... She uh, probably thinks it's a devil baby. Probably wants to give it to the priest. Probably give it for free. I'll never give a baby away for free. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's a rookie mistake. <laughs> and the gang confessed to the crime. Their motive was, as expected, wishing to sell the body parts to a witch doctor. Everyone, including their lawyers, expected the gang to be shown leniency. After all, there'd never been an albino murder conviction in the country before. However, all three men were sentenced to death by hanging. Well, it's good news, isn't it? Trying to send a message out to those that want to kill albinos for no reason. True. Yeah. Something needs to be done, doesn't it, clearly? What the fuck's the UN in this? Oh, they're too busy doing other stupid shit. Pushing it's vaccines. Small minority, though, isn't it? It's a small minority of people, isn't it? Yeah, but you've got a couple of hundred people a year getting killed. Well, Christ, I mean, life for them is just walking around in a, in a hood, probably, hoping no one notices how white you are. Well, you come to England and make a career as a professional footballer, just like Wes Brown. Is he African, was he? No, he's no joking, because uh, he's ginger. <laughs> Albino's got tr- like bright white hair, haven't they? And eyelashes. Yeah, it's true. So he's had the tip of his nose off. That chap there. Mm. Well, there we go. Don't hunt an albino. Next one, then. Okay. The Tanganyika laughter epidemic. Okay. Okay. (laughs) On January the 30th, 1962, three girls at a boarding school in Kansasha, Tanzania, began laughing. The laughter spread like wildfire throughout the school, affecting nearly 60% of the students. Right. Symptoms of those affected lasted from a few hours to 16 days. The behaviour was so disruptive, the school was forced to close down. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Are they all in on this as a prank or something, or what? Soon after, the epidemic had spread to neighbouring villages. In April and May, over 200 people had long, disruptive laughing attacks. By June, the epidemic had spread to another school, affecting an additional 50 students. <laughs> in July, another outbreak occurred in nearby Kanya and Greka, and another two schools were closed. <laughs> Fucking hell. Mm-hmm. Outbreaks are laughing. Yeah. Well, not first. Stops. This is the second story from Tanzania tonight, so they've got a choice of watching an albino get hacked to death in the street or laughing... <laughs> 
Yeah, don't combine the two. <laughs> what if it's happening and they've got the laughing disease? Uh-huh. And then the guy who's hacking up the albino start laughing. And then the albino getting hacked up starts laughing. It's tragic. So is, is there some sort of scientific reason behind this? I don't know. According to reports, the laughter was incapacitating when it struck. General pain, fainting, respiratory problems, rashes, crying bouts and random screaming were all (laughs) common traits of those affected. By the end of the epidemic, 14 schools were shut down and over 1,000 people had been afflicted, but no known deaths reported. To this day, scientists do not have an explanation for this one-time epidemic that occurred in Tanzania. The most popular hypothesis was a form of mass psychogenic illness, otherwise known as mass hysteria, mostly like uh, most likely brought about by tainted food sources. Ergot. Yeah. There you go. It's ergot. They're all chipping their tips yeah. off. Yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm going for that. Or it was some kind of alien weapon. I'm not going for that. <laughs> All right, what about about some kind of governmental weapon, some kind of um, non-lethal thing they're testing out on people? Makes them laugh. There's that brown note thing that makes you shit yourself. Yeah, but but that's useful. What, people shit themselves? You don't want to be fighting an enemy when you just shat yourself. <laughs> no, but I also don't want to be fighting an enemy if I can't stop laughing so so much I can't breathe. Maybe. But no, I'm going for the got theory. I think that's the best one. That's true, and it only affects the kids. Weird. So maybe it was in the school meals? Maybe. Okay. Teachers never ate it. Teachers brought in their own damn lunch. <laughs> eating of school food. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's, 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 I like that. All the kids are just tripping their fucking tits oh. off. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's a mystery. Although it could still be a non-lethal weapon being tested out. Or an alien device. No. Well, okay. Chemtrails. They were testing a new brand of chemtrail that day. Over Tanzania. Potentially. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's all well, very well and good with you and you and your chemtrails. No, it can't be an alien weapon, Ben. Don't be stupid. Mm. <laughs> no, it's got more. Mine holds more weight, surely. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> yes. Then both is equally unlikely. <laughs> Twenty-eight famous people who predicted their own demise. Twenty-seven. Oh, twenty-seven. <laughs> Sorry, half the title's cut off in it for some reason. Oh, right, okay. I thought, I thought you just wasn't dragging it down. Mm. It was making it harder. Do you want to do James... Do you want to do James Dean, Claire? That yeah. sounds so dodgy. So, yeah. James Dean. That's... There's a picture. There's a picture of James Dean in the cart. It's a, a Porsche 550 Spider. Called the Little Bastard. The Little Bastard. <gasps> Nine days before we crashed it in the US um, route... 46 in California, Dean took up racing shortly before his death. And in 1955 interview, just months before, Dean uh, struck a cautionary note about America's highways. He's quoted saying, people say racing is dangerous, he said, but I'll take my chances on the track any day than the highway. While driving on the highway on September the 30th, 1955, 
a man named Donald... Turn up speed. Turn up speed, really. Yeah. Randomly turned left into an intersection and caused Dean to crash into his Porsche. At, at the end of the 1955 interview, Dean said, take it easy on the highway, the life you save may be mine. Oh. Mm. Well, Prophetic, isn't it? Yeah. It is a little bit, but... Donald, turn up speed. Turn up speed. We've got to be living in a fucking no, simulation. We've got to be living in a simulation. It does sound a lot like an, an NPC, doesn't it, from a game? Donald, turn up speed. Oh no, turn up seed. Turn up seed. It's close turn, enough though, isn't turnip it? Turnip seed. <laughs> it's close enough though, isn't it? Reddit yeah. is turn up speed, but it is actually turn up seed. But oh, that's. Just decides to randomly turn left. Yep. In his truck, no doubt. That killed him off then? Yeah. yeah. So did he predict his own death? Nah, he just knew that people on the highways couldn't drive for shit. Maybe. There's always human error, isn't there? Yeah. Ben? My Luther King. Dr King arrived in Memphis, Tennessee on April 3rd, 1968 and gave his famous last speech which was titled I've Been to the Mountaintop. Uh, the speech showcases King's priorities such as equal rights for all mankind and social justice but it was the last few lines that turned out to be pathetic. Quoting him, uh, Like anybody, I would like to live a long life but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. He went on to say, I've seen the promised land I may not get there with you. He was right, as the next morning on April 4th, 1968, he was assassinated by a sniper's bullet in front of his hotel. He knew he wasn't going to... Yeah. That that was it. The, I he, think he knew that... He knew he was going to get taken yeah. out. And if had he lived, he'd have probably gone on to be president. It would have been an amazing president. Better than these war criminals we had. That's why he got shot. Yeah. So it happens to everyone. All the men of peace get shot and we're just left with the sociopaths. Mm. Yep, kill the men of peace. Mark Twain. It's difficult to say whether the author and satirist... Is that, is that how you say it? Satirist. Yeah, Satirist. I guess so. Satirist. Satirist. Satirist Mark Twain predicted his death or made it happen out of sheer force of willpower. Twain was born on November the 30th, 1835, which was the same day that Halley's Comet passed by Earth, which it does every 75 or 76 years. I came in with Hayley's Comet, Twain said in 1909. It is coming again next year. The Almighty has said, no doubt. Now there are two unaccountable freaks. They came in together, they must go out together. His prediction turned out to be true as on April the 21st, 1910, one day after Hayley's Comet passed Earth, Twain died of a heart attack. Or did he? Did he just go home? Hmm. <laughs> Was the UFO following that comet, nah. like the Halibop thing, and it took Mark Twain home? Yeah. That was just his human body dying. That's what I'm going for. Nah, weird. Ronnie Van Zandt. You mean the Leonard Skinner front man? Yeah, Ronnie Van Zandt, he predicted his death several times. Well, he didn't really do it if it was several times, yeah, did he? No, I mean, he was a bit wrong with you and them. <laughs> No Nostradamus was Ronnie. No Nostradamus. Commenting that he would die with his boots on and that he wouldn't live to see 30. Van Zandt would prove his prediction correct as he died less than three months before his 30th birthday. Mm -hmm. 
What's more, in the three days before the plane crash that killed him and three other bandmates, the band released an album that seemed to show them engulfed in flames. He had just released a song to called That Smell. <laughs> I know you know that's his favourite of yours, that is like, yeah. isn't it? Which had such lyrics as Angel of Darkness Upon You and The Smell of Death Surround You. But it sounds nothing like anything else Leonard Skinner have ever done. Right, okay. It's weird. It's 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 an odd one. Mm. It's quite melodic. It's slow and not But it's did a... he predict his own death? Well, he'd been doing it for a while, so I guess he was going to get lucky. People in the 70s who were in rock bands didn't tend to live long. No. It was a plane crash for them, wasn't it? They went down in the swamps. Mm. If I remember rightly, but... No. Died with his boots on there, didn't he? Unless he took them off for the flight. <laughs> no. It's a possibility. <laughs> or as the plane went down, he was frantically scrabbling for his boots. Mm. Who can say? Abraham yeah. Lincoln... Exactly 103 years before Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, Abraham Lincoln had a dream that strangely annoyed him. He saw a, a catafalque, which is a type of wood framework that supports a coffin, in the east wing of the White House, and a Union soldier was standing guard. Soldier, sorry. Lincoln walked up to the man and asked, Who is dead in the White House? To which the soldier replied, The President. He was killed by an assassin. Lincoln couldn't shake that dream, and a week later he told a friend about it. Three days after that, he was killed by an assassin's bullet, and his body was later put on display in the East Room of the White House. Oh, that's a bit macabre, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they all are, because they're all predicting their own death. Bit of a, <laughs> bit of a macabre guy, though, Lincoln, <laughs> wasn't he? No, putting it on display is a bit... That's what you mean. It'd be like lying in state, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah. Lenin's still there, isn't he? Yeah, still going, and Chairman Mao. Still in state, I'm sure of it. I think it's Mao, Lenin, maybe one of the Kims, I don't know. Do they just keep them sterile, the air and that? Yeah, yeah. Freeze them up or something? Yeah, they're pumped full of, um, oh God, what are they? You know the stuff that undertakers pump you full of before? Formaldehyde. Formaldehyde, all the preservatives, and then they're kept to a certain level. And basically there's just a never-ending pump of chemicals through them. At one point, they nearly uh, had to scrap Lenin because they were that skimp. They couldn't uh, couldn't afford to keep it going. Mm. It, was, it was like, oh shit, we we're skimp. We can't. It was at some point during the changeover in the nineties. They're like, oh, we're broke. We can't even afford to keep Lenin fresh. Mm. <laughs> Next one, Jim Morrison, The Doors, the most overrated singer-songwriter ever. I don't mind. In my it. opinion, I think his lyrics are terrible. Sorry. Most overrated lyricist ever. The Doors, from, from my opinion, Jim Morrison. Oh, I like them, they're all right, aren't they? Yeah. So on uh, September the 18th, 1970, rock legend Jimi Hendrix died. On October 4th, Morrison's close friend Janis Joplin died. And the 27 Club was born. Days later, Morrison was out with friends at Barney's... Beanery. Beanery in, in Los Angeles, where it is said that he had commented, you're drinking with the number three. That's right, number three. Morrison would die of a drug overdose in Paris less than nine months later. Number three? Number three of the 27 Club. Right, okay. So Hendrix is gone, Joplin's gone, and, and he said to them, you're drinking with number three. Yeah, maybe he was also doing a lot of drugs and he wasn't going to survive that long. 
Possibly brought on by the death of his friends. Yeah. Tupac Shakur. No. Tupac. There's still people think he's alive, aren't there? There is. Mm. Not only did Tupac rap about how his death was going to happen in a song released just a few months before his death, I've Been Shot and Murdered, can tell you how it happened word for word. Oh, God, you can tell you're not a Tupac fan. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have rapped them off. Yeah. I just want to point out that a 1990s rapper predicting that he's going to get shot isn't that much of a no, prediction. I know, yeah. But he also accidentally predicted his death in a 1994 interview. When asked where he'd been in 15 years, he replied, best case scenario in a cemetery. So again, it's not that prophetic, is it? Not really, no. No, he's... he's <laughs> no. You had the feuds going on. You did. Nah. <laughs> so that, that, that one doesn't spin it for me. Even if it had gone a bit, I'll have been shot. That's, you know, just not enough, is it? Nah. Nah, it's not. You want to do Warren Zevon, then? You mean the singer-songwriter and all-around rock star, Rowan? Rowan uh, I can't even say his name. <laughs> Warren Zevon. Warren Zevon. He had latrophobia. It's a fear of going to the doctor. As you can imagine, this had severe consequences. Somehow he wasn't afraid to go to the dentist, but when he developed a persistent cough, it was his dentist that encouraged him to see the physician. Oh, I think he's got the throat cancer on. In, or something. Yeah, in 2002 he was diagnosed with a form of mesothelioma, which was odd because it was a disease associated with exposure to asbestos. Instead of an explanation, we're only giving these lyrics to his 1987 song, The Factory. Quote, Johnny, I've been working in the factory, kicking asbestos in the factory, punching out crisis in the factory, breathing that plastic in the factory. <laughs> so even though he'd never done any of that, he ended up with a disease mm. that was his song. Well, that's creepy. Is a bit, isn't it? Mm. Buddy Holly. So this one is creepy and may make you never want to sleep again. Buddy Holly was sleeping next to his wife Maria in January 1959 when they were both roused from nightmares. They didn't have the exact same dream, but each involved a farm and an aeroplane, panic, and Holly um, leaving Maria. Mm. Ooh. Holly was so grief-stricken, he started crying. Weeks later, he would try to do right by Maria by doing a winter tour in the Midwest to raise money for his growing family. When the weather um, struck on February the 2nd, 1959, um, he chartered an aeroplane that crashed shortly after it had taken off into a cornfield in Iowa and was killed on, a, on impact. Mm. Oh. Farm and aeroplane, yeah. him leaving his wife. And they both had similar dreams. How long would you leave it though? Well, that's it. You gotta say I'm never going on, a, on an airplane again. Well, you don't know it's an airplane. You just know it's a farm. Well, I know, but an airplane can crash anywhere, can't it? So the moral of the story is never go to a farm. No, never get an airplane, isn't it? If it's an, or a farm, <laughs> never, nowhere near. Go anywhere near farms. Yeah. What were the dreams? I'll go back. Go back up. Did they mention a plane? Yeah. A oh, farm, yeah, okay. A airplane, farm, airplane. Yeah. Don't get on a plane. Don't go to any farms. Yeah. And then just smoke a load of weed so you never panic again. <laughs> that one's a bit weird, though, isn't it? Yeah. All right, Mark Bowen. 
Fears are a naughty way of manifesting themselves into reality, and frontman for the English glam rock group T-Rex, Mark Bolan, certainly learned this lesson too late. Despite the fact he owned many vehicles and even sang about cars often, Bolan never bothered to get his driver's licence as he was afraid of an untimely death. <laughs> On the night of September 6th, 1977, Bolan, then 29, was a passenger in a Mini 1275 GT. Ooh, the GT edition. Hmm. He was coming home from Morton's Drinking Club and Restaurant in London when his girlfriend, Gloria Jones, veered off the road and struck a fence post. Killed him? Yeah. Fuck Got him. Yep. Well, that's not really that much of a prediction, is it? Not really. More of a tragic irony. Yeah. Kurt Cobain was an in in fuck that that word innovative musician and a kick-ass rock star, just as much as he was a tortured soul. This is a very difficult story to verify, but according to multiple sources, well, it's not that difficult, though, is it? <laughs> Cobain predicted his own demise when he was just fourteen years old, which was thirteen. Uh, years shy of his uh, induction into the 27 Club. Cobain is said to have actually made three predictions that came true. He'd said a classmate that he was was going to get rich and famous from being a rock star and he'd die in a blaze of glory like Jimi Hendrix. Hendrix didn't go out like that and Cobain's suicide on April the 5th, 1994 was anything but glorious. What you've got to remember it, Kurt... Is that he's always been very depressed, Danny? Yeah. So if you, the fourteen-year-old Kurt Cobain said, "Yeah, I'm going to join the Twenty Seven Club, man. Be a famous rock star, go out in a blaze of glory, just like Jimi Hendrix." I'll be like, "Yeah, you probably will, actually." Yeah. Well, here's Jimi Hendrix now. While Cobain may have gone by way of the gun, Jimi Hendrix certainly did not. But the two did end up joining the same frightful Twenty Seven Club. In 1965, before anyone outside of Seattle knew who Hendrix was, he recorded Ballad of Jimmy, whose lyrics predicted when he would die. It says many things he would try, for he knew too soon he'd die. Now Jimmy's gone, he's not alone. His memory still lives on. Five years, this he said, he's not gone, he's just dead. On September the 18th, 1970, almost five years to the month of the recording, Hendrix was found dead. A London hotel room apparently dying of asphyxia caused by a drug overdose. Yeah. If you're going to write a ballad about yourself... Don't write it about <laughs> your death. Yeah. Yeah. Never try and predict your own death. Yeah. I think it's a lesson to be learnt. Yeah, it's well morbid, isn't it? Yeah. You know, loads of people die on their birthday. Do they? Yeah, you should always be wary on your birthday. Mm. <laughs> be double wary. It's, that's more death of misadventure, isn't it? Because you, you're more likely to have a drink, have a laugh, yeah. fall over. Yeah. Okay, but still, I'm pretty sure that uh, Shakespeare died on his birthday, and Newton. Mm. They were quite old. Then again, they could have just fell down the stairs pissed, couldn't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. The ultimate warrior. James Helwig, a.k.a. The Ultimate Warrior, was on a hiatus in professional wrestling after a falling gate with just about everybody involved in world wrestling entertainment. Then, on April 5th, 2014, he made amends with his former comrades and appeared on WrestleMania 30 to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah, he'd also sound like a racist rant and stuff, but he just came out and said, look, I'm sorry. 
I'm just, I'm, I'm a dick. I'm sorry. And they were <laughs> like, okay. During his induction, he gave a great speech where he poked fate and said, every man's heart beats its final beat. The spirit of the ultimate warrior will run forever. <laughs> Less than three days later, without any warning or any indication he was suffering from health problems, the ultimate warrior died of a massive heart attack. Cool. And the amount of steroids he put taken did not help matters. No. But uh, yeah, it was tragic because he just he just made friends with everybody. I mean, at one point, he nearly like fucked up WrestleMania. Like yeah. going to Vince saying like five minutes where he's due to fight Hogan. I want a million dollars or I'm not fighting. But it was all just an act, wasn't it? Yeah, but the Ultimate Warrior was a legitimate dickhead. <laughs> yeah, the entire dressing room wanted to beat the fuck out of him. And Hulk even said to Vince, you get the warrior out of the room, calling Hulk and he's like, he's just to me that five minutes for you should do to go on. He wants a million dollars or he's not going to happen. He's going to walk out. And Hulk said, I've got an entire dressing room full of guys who are quite happy to beat the shit out of him. What do you want me to do? And Vincent the end paid him the paid him the million and said, "Get the fuck out! Don't come back." And then he did like a hatchet job on him with a special called "The Rise and Fall of the Ultimate Warrior" <laughs> documentary, which is actually quite a good documentary. Uh, R.I.P. You racist bastard. <laughs> All right, so it's the last one. Do you want this one, Claire? Okay, W.T. Stead, author William Thomas Stead's demise is another cautionary tale of the need to be careful in what you say. In 1886, Stead wrote a story where, wherein an ocean liner collides with another ship and many lives are lost because of the lack of lifeboats. He later said, this is exactly what might take place and will take place if liners are sent to sea short of boats. Mm-hmm. I think you know, I know where you're going with this <laughs> one, and I also think that it's actually been debunked. But go yeah. on. Go on then. Stead liked to say that he'd die by either lynching or drowning. He even wrote another story saying where a ship had collided with an iceberg. As luck would have it, Stead found himself aboard the RMS Titanic on April 15th, mm-hmm. 1912, where it struck an iceberg. Due to the lack of lifeboats, Stead drowned in the freezing cold waters. Yeah. He's like, you bastard. <laughs> that one's quite spooky, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I don't know if that's the... Do you remember when we did the Titanic episode and there was a guy who wrote that book called Futility or the Wreck of the Titan? Mm. And it described pretty much in its entirety the Titanic disaster. And then the rumour was that he died on the Titanic. I can't remember who wrote that book. Mm. But it was that guy who was debunked he died in a New York hotel. Ah. Uh. Maybe. Could be a different dude. Could be. But, um, yep, yeah, let's call that a... Yeah. Let's call that an episode. What do you think? Do you think people can predict their own deaths? Or do you think it's just coincidence? Most of those were coincidence, weren't they? Yeah. Really? And things, yeah. James Dean knew how bad the highways were, the standards of driving was on American highways. And the safety of the cars as and, well. Yeah, that Porsche did not look like it was... He's going to hit by a truck, it's a sports car, it's going to survive, is it? No. Cobain, he was always he was always depressed. If he'd have said that to me as a 14-year-old, I'd probably agreed with him. Especially become a rock star, you're always, also, you know, you're doing a lot of drugs, you're living that lifestyle, you, you're buying a... Every time you do the drugs, you're sort of ticking a chance off, aren't you? Yeah. 
you know, the likes of Jim Morrison going, oh, you're drinking with number three. It's like, yeah, Jim, you're taking a lot of heroin. Mm. I was going to say, when you got fruit bowls full of cocaine and, you know. <laughs> yeah. that's, what about yeah. Buddy Ollie? The Buddy Ollie one's freaky. That one is a bit freaky, yeah. The dreams. And and, and if I remember rightly, she lost the baby. He didn't mention that too. Oh, right. There's like an extra double tragic thing. Shit. The shock of hearing that it happened. Oh. Yeah. Mm. That one is creepy and tragic. Because, you know, great guitarist, Buddy Ollie. Lost the musical world. Most of them are. Yeah. Right, uh, let's call that a uh, an episode then. So thank you very much for listening. I've been Ben. Don't drink the flavour eat. Don't join a cult. Follow us on Facebook at Cutting to the Bull and the PTA. YouTube. No. Cutting to the Bull and the Post Apocalypse. Uh, Cutting to the Bull and the PTA on SoundCloud. Yeah. And Spotify. And anywhere else you can get a podcast, really. Apocalypse Bull on YouTube. Apocalypse Bull on YouTube. Okay, I've been Mike. Thanks for listening. Peace out. May the force be with you. And I've been Claire. Keep an open mind, but not so open that it spills out your ears. Here's your ditto course going. <laughs> Great, thanks. <laughs> you got the lightsaber yet? <laughs> not quite. <laughs> oh, well.